Welcome into another round of the Props and Hops Super Bowl Shuffle interview series. I'm your host, Matt Landis, here today with the finale of the interview series, but the debut for a new guest to Props and Hops. I'm excited today to be joined by George Sofidis, aka GStack George, on Twitter. George is an entrepreneur, a pro better, host of the Monday Grind podcast. Again, on Twitter, you can find him at George Sofidis. That's George. T-S-I-L-F-I-D-I-S, and you can find a link to that handle in the show notes of this podcast. George, welcome to Props and Hops. Matt, thank you for having me. And you know what? You nailed my last name. I have spent semesters with teachers who had to call my name the entire year, and they never came as close as that. That that is, You are on an honorary Greek because you nailed that. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. I will gladly accept that compliment. I'll say uh, the small dividends of a six-figure-plus degree in broadcast journalism at the University of Southern California, that emphasis on trying to get names correct, you know, it, it just feels good. I told you before we started recording, my name seems basic enough to me, but it gets mixed up a lot of the time. So I want to do right by you and, and glad to have at least gotten closer than most. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, George, over the course of this conversation, I would love to get a lot of your insight to some of this show's listeners who might not yet have tuned into the Monday Grinds, but got to encourage everybody to make sure to add that to their podcast arsenal. I know we're going to talk about the Super Bowl just a couple days away at this point, but starting out on a macro level, zooming out and viewing the season as a whole, how would you describe the biggest lesson you've learned this season from a betting perspective? The biggest lesson I learned is there are some real opportunities when there is a lot of variance or unknown quantities to a game. And specifically is when a player's status is up in the air. Um, oftentimes it's the quarterback that's the most important and the books will line something in between what the number should be if he plays and the number should be if he doesn't play. Let's say they line it at four and a half. And if the quarterback plays, it will close at seven. And if he doesn't, it's likely going to close at three, maybe two and a half. So what I've learned is if you can correctly predict which way he's going to go, you can essentially pick up three to four points of what I like to refer to as like manufactured CLV. And there's lots of examples of this. I can give you one off the top of my head. I remember distinctly. The most recent one was Ryan Tannehill. The Tennessee Titans played against the L.A. Chargers, and in the game, Tannehill hurt his ankle. It was quite apparent he had a high ankle sprain. They taped it up. He had no mobility. The Titans could not move the ball after he came back into the game. Um, the Chargers ended up winning the game, but Tannehill finishes the game. So I make a mental note of that when I finish my weekly notes on Sunday evening. Well, the books opened the following week minus seven against Houston, and I handicapped the likeliness of him playing uh, the following week against Houston. And it came down to what would be the line if he doesn't go? I made it two and a half, three. What would be the line if it turns out uh, he does play? And then what would be the line if he turns out he plays, but he's, he's quite hobbled and, and, and not as good. So by doing so, you know, you're getting plus seven on the line that ended up closing at plus three because Ryan Danhill didn't play. And before you could sit around and you could wait for the news and say, hey, Adam Schefter tweeted he's out. A beat writer tweeted he's out. Let's jump on it. But what's started to happen now is a lot of these sports betting groups get the info quickly, and the line starts to leak in the direction of the most likely outcome. So it didn't go from seven to three. It All week it was leaking 
you know, five, four and a half, four. By the time we got the concrete info, sure, you could still get, you know, good CLV. Like you could pick off a plus three and a half on a line that closes to uh, closes at three. But if you can project the likeliness of them playing or not, what the lines you would make on either side of that diagnosis is, and then calculate, you know, the expected value of the bet, whether it goes bad or good. And the other part is, you know, I'm calculating asymmetric risk. I said, if he does play and he's got a high ankle, I said, he's going to be hobbled. And I said, at worst case scenario, I'm making the line nine. So even if I'm wrong at plus seven, the line goes to nine. The consequences of that is not as big as getting seven when a line closes three. So I found there's a lot of value in calculating injuries and likeliness. And it's not just him. It happened this year, if you remember, with Russell Wilson before the London game against the Jets. And the line swung from, I think they were, they were three briefly, then they were plus two and a half, and then the line ended up swinging to the Jets. And I found there's a lot of value. Justin Herbert, you know, his ribs against Jacksonville was the same situation. And there's a lot of value in the games that are lined in the middle where there's uncertainty. And if you are following beat writers and you're picking up on their notes and you're listening to the language, and there's a ton of like Twitter doctors out there now that are constantly giving you their, you know, diagnosis, they specialize in fantasy. So I found there's a real opportunity in attacking the market like that. I like the point about capitalizing on asymmetric risk. So it's maybe going to help make it less daunting for a lot of betters who aren't at your level and they might not have the ability to pull together the latest information any given moment. But it reminds me of something I recall learning from the late, great David Malinsky, somebody I mentioned often on this show where a lot of what we're doing as betters isn't having to be perfect or be certain in anything. It's just needing to be confident enough. And, and just, you know, if it's one step ahead of somebody else, not miles ahead of them, you know, we don't have to be 100% right. If you can be 55% right when we're talking about laying minus 110, then that can make for some positive expected value. And I, I like the examples you laid out beyond the Ryan Tannehill scenario that you began with. I also think about the Adam Schefter point you brought up, and that reminds me of Jalen Hurts' shoulder injury where we saw the Eagles-Cowboys game get hit, and it was hours before Schefter or anybody went public with anything. So to that end, I think for a lot of betters who might still not be able to act prior to seeing news from somebody like Schefter or Rap Sheet, is there anything else that you think people can consider downstream where, okay, this quarterback is known to be injured, probably going to miss this game. It might be a longer-term thing beyond just this week. The point spread for the upcoming matchup has already been hit, but any other creative ways to get down where some markets might lag behind a full-game point spread? So I've got a a great example of that um, in what I call my most tilted moment, and and Mm -hmm. it's all encapsulated where I – I missed the immediate news and I was able to hit alternative markets in the scramble drill that you play with the sports books before they can pull everything down. If you want me to get into it, I can. Um, the big yeah, one, do it. the big one was Josh Allen against Minnesota and the status of his elbow with the UCL injury. Now my whole thing about predicting high ankle sprains and knee injuries didn't apply here because I've, I haven't seen this injury. It's, it's, it's one of those rare injuries where, a, you don't see often, and B, the, the consequences are, are severe. It's like end of season or he can play through it. So like the, 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 the scale of either side is huge. 
So I'm watching the news and I'm watching the screen and I'm seeing the, the game leak the whole way down from seven. And I think it got to three and a half before we got any concrete news on Josh Allen. I still I would I didn't act on it and I and I, I was aware of the line where it was leaking and I remember you know Cleve TA was talking about how this game and and this scenario this injury scenario like took a lot of his time the the reason I didn't jump on it because I I still didn't know the um, the full scope of consequences with this injury I, I thought there was just too much unknown for, for for anyone to play any um guessing games with this so I stayed away I'm like I'm just gonna hawk the news. I have my line if he's out and I have my line if he's in and I'm going to try to, you know, jump on the news as soon as I get it. And, and I'm a guy on Twitter who I follow every single beat writer. So, you know how you have Twitter lists and people can, you know, you can parse things in. Anybody who follows me on Twitter can literally pick up the, the beat writers of any division. I have them all separated. And at, uh, NFC West, I've got, you know, 25 beat writers from the four different teams. So like, 400 of my followers uh, of the people I follow on Twitter are literally, you know, news newsmakers and beat writers and things of that nature in the NFL. So I'm hawking this news. Now I've got to go to the bathroom. And um, a lot of people know Spanky, who is a legendary, uh, you know, top down better. He uh, tended to use uh, something he calls piss jugs where he couldn't leave the desk. And, and I'm not that extreme. I'm like, you know, if, if something happens in the two minutes that I went to the washroom, I, it is what it is, right? So I end up going to the washroom. I end up grabbing a drink, end up coming back to the desk. In in that three minutes, all hell broke loose, and Josh Allen uh, was ruled he's going to play. I missed it. The line was off the board, or books had adjusted it back to six and a half, seven. But I was preparing for other markets that I could attack. So one of them was the Cleveland Browns were playing the Buffalo Bills the next week in Buffalo. And Buffalo was minus six and a half in the game. It was it was a total in-between line because my true number on that game was minus 10, 10 and a half. As soon as I missed the opportunity with Minnesota Buffalo, I found books that had next week's lines and I attacked that. I was able to get down on six and six and a half at a couple different books. And that's an opportunity where if you miss the immediate news, the books, the first thing they grab is, okay, what's the first and major event people are betting in the moment? And it's Buffalo, Minnesota at the moment. So you're, you can attack next week's lines. Now, by the same token, suppose Josh Allen was out for the season and you, you there was opportunities there where you could snipe AFC East division bets, you know, you, you bet the next next teams and the, the likeliness of them. So there, there's opportunities, even if you miss or even if the news is over and you do get a bet in on the initial event, keep looking. There's other things you can dig into. Sometimes player props. Um, uh, I, I know a friend of mine, he's he's a he's a hawk. And when he watches uh, sports, he live bets. So when Kyler Murray gets injured on the first play against the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football, Immediately, people want to bet, bang, let's bet New England. In the moment that that bet is still not available, you know what he's looking at? He's looking at player props because sometimes you can get your Kyler Murray unders at that moment. Uh, and, and it's brief. You got, you know, a 30, 40 second window, but people don't realize there's other markets you can scramble into to take advantage of because the book can only put unless they shut down the whole event, the book can only pull down events in a sequence of order. So oftentimes they they take down the, the the most likely or the most bet on the one with the most liquidity, 
and you can catch them on some of the secondary and the third markets that come with it. I appreciate you bringing this up over the course of the regular season, sharing examples of how you or your friends have gotten down in this way, because on last night's episode with Hitman, we kind of wrapped up the show talking about final advice as we approach the Super Bowl. And it was very specific to this Sunday's matchup for Super Bowl betting in general, where if marquee players have their yardage get steamed for a quarterback, you can look at attempts or completions for a running back. You can look at carries or longest run over under for pass catchers, number of receptions, longest reception over under, or especially in the Super Bowl. I love when head to head matchups are lagging far behind. They yep. might open a head to head matchup factoring in the difference between two players opening lines for let's say receiving yardage. And then if one player gets steamed up, the other gets steamed down. The head to head matchup is often too slow to move if it even moves at all. So we talked about, the scope of the Super Bowl and how people can act on things that they may have missed the boat initially on the first bet that most people look to make. But I think this is a really good point to take home and that just because the Super Bowl is going to come and go in a couple of days, a lot of what you just said can help shape people's thought processes when they get around to prepping for the 2023 season. And we'll have, you know, 18, 19 weeks of this before we even get to do or die games with really big expanded prop menus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, to me, it's always uh, prepare a backup plan. It, the more info you have to, if you happen to know that the backup quarterback, because and the reason I keep coming back to the quarterback is it happens to be the position that affects the most other positions and, and, and the, you know, the game script of any particular game. If you understand that that, player suddenly you know has a chemistry with a certain you know he loves hitting his tight ends he's just a check down he he hits his running backs for check downs there's opportunities in that moment where now all of a sudden you've got numbers that are incorrectly priced because they're based on who they are originally priced with same way with the san fran and philadelphia game yeah you could have bet philly live bet and, and it was a great opportunity but you also at that moment when when the the second quarterback got hurt if you you could have just banged every receiver under and you would have cleaned up every single one just knowing that they have nobody to throw to right now i like the point too of if there's a game where there's a quarterback injury there's major news if you get a bet down in time for the point spread in that game you're not done just like if somebody was too late to get down on the point spread there are more options in that nfc title game i did live bet the eagles I didn't even think to look, you know, at all the receivers. And, and part of it is maybe being a bit more conservative with risk tolerance. I didn't want to get yeah. too overextended. But whether or not you get the first bet down that everybody thinks of in the moment, there is almost always something downstream that you can explore. So even if there are tilting moments when you can't stay on top of everything, I think there's a lot of good process-driven insight to what you've had to say. And I know that sometimes if you miss big news, it can put you on tilt a little bit. But at the same time, I would imagine on the other end of the spectrum, there are times where you have just gotten really fortunate. You've done everything right, but you still need the ball to bounce your way come game day. So moving on from tilting moments, is there anything that you would describe as a most fortunate win or a really lucky moment over the course of the season? Well, before I get to that, here's why the Buffalo situation was my most tilting moment. I picked off a good number. It was I got six and six and a half against Cleveland. And the next week came and the line was nine and a half. And then the venue got changed and my bets got taken away from me. So mm. I was tilted because I made, I made, I had a great you know process and I made a great decision and I didn't get my rewards for it. I was going to say like a lot of people will point to, 
specific games where they get you know bad beated and this this connects to my most fortunate moment so i come from a background of poker and i realize the best thing you can do is you get your your money in with the best of it and then but it's still there's still a percentage you're going to lose well you you know you if you have a pair rolled up over another pair you have an 80 percent chance but one every five times you're still going to lose that hand so you and Cleve T.A. were talking about that Washington teaser against Detroit. I remember it because I was on it. So I remember everything about it, getting all that CLV. They missed the extra point. I remember the whole came vividly. I remember Washington was flat the entire first half, and then they came out roaring in the second half, and I'm like, where the hell was this the first half? So what I, I, I tend not to look at like lucky moments and unlucky moments because the way we're designed to remember we always remember the stuff that goes against us and we think it's, you know, an inordinate amount in one direction. And we tend to forget about the times we get fortunate. Um, but I will tell you the time that I guess I got the most fortunate. I had a uh, division bet on the Buccaneers and I also uh, bet the Buccaneers against Carolina. Um, I think it was minus three um, or two and a half at minus 120. And I got fortunate because I thought I was too confident. I already had my division bet, and I should have just stayed with it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have as big an edge as I thought with Tampa Bay against Carolina in that Week 17 game. And I went and double dipped. And I don't always double dip, especially if it's a sizable amount. But I did. And the way Carolina played in the beginning, I'm sitting there, and it's probably early third quarter. And I'm like, what have I done? I'm like, Carolina is playing really well. Carolina is probably going to win this game, let alone, you know, not cover. And for whatever reason, you know, Tampa Bay finally hit the Jets. My handicap was, you know, JC Horn was out for Carolina and I thought Tampa Bay could expose that. And they did. That was the game where, you know, they hit Mike Evans for a few deep balls. And I just felt very fortunate. I'm like, you know what? I don't think my process was completely sound here. And I, I double dipped and I hit both bets and I'm just thinking, I'm like, I got a little bit greedy and rewarded and I got to be more mindful about that. I like the accountability, even when something works out, still taking yourself to task, because oftentimes when things go in our favor, we're quick to take credit. And when things break against us, we're quick to look externally and point the finger. So even when things go well, there's plenty to learn. And I think that game is a great example. I remember watching it and it was such a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I can't imagine what that would have been like if I had overextended myself on Tampa Bay needing pretty much that exact end game to play out just the way it did. Do you remember the Thursday nighter between Washington and Chicago? I think it would maybe it was week five or six. Yeah. If I could forget it, I would, but that was one of those games that was just so rough to watch that it's kind of etched were, into memory. Were you, were you on Chicago or Washington in that game? That game, I think I was actually on, uh, I think I was on Terry McLaurin overs that didn't get home. So I was just waiting for big plays that, never happened that was my exposure there okay so i'm on washington in that game and if people remember this game chicago drove down to the red zone three times came away mm. with with three points like two turnovers th that end sequence i remember winning that game and the first thing i said to myself man i got really lucky here i clearly misevaluated something in this game because i was I, I felt i was way off i thought chicago kicked their butts uh were the better team and i just got the right side of insanely lucky variant. So maybe this is my most lucky win. But at that moment, rather than chalk it up to, man, I made the right play, I, I said, okay, what did I miss? Who am I, who am I wrong on? Am I wrong on Washington 
or am I wrong on Chicago in this game? And then what I had learned from that game was Chicago had started to give Justin Fields more freedom to run. They finally said they accepted who he is and they said, we're going to adjust our offense to him. If you remember the very next game, Chicago beats New England as a nine point underdog straight up on Monday night football. And I was on Chicago uh, on the spread in that game because I made an adjustment the week before I said, I completely misread Chicago. And I, and I know a lot of sharp betters were on Washington that game. I know Cleve TA was on Washington. I know Clive Bixby was talking about how fortunate he was to be on Washington. And, and I said to myself, okay, clearly we all missed the boat on Chicago here. It's not, I don't think we have a love fest for Washington. So what happened was I adjusted quickly. I'm like, okay, if Chicago's going to change their offense and tailor it to Justin Fields, suddenly those big spreads of them being underdogs, uh, you know, there could be some value there just in the fact that Justin Fields is going to move the ball because they finally trust him to run around and use his wheels and it opens up everything else in the offense. And there was a nice little three or four week swing where not only were you picking off good value with Chicago, the overs were coming in and you were picking up some good value on Chicago uh, game overs because the adjustment had been made and maybe not everybody picked up on it right away. So I want to touch on something when it comes to watching games and making the adjustments that you do or or taking away lessons that might be tougher for a lot of betters because for most betters watching a game when you have action uh, and we're human, it's it's a major instinct is to simply root in the bet that you've made. And it's yeah. really tough to be objective and pick up on anything else versus, okay, yeah, this bet won. I'm smart. I knew I was right. Or, oh, this bet lost. I'm, I'm so unlucky. How unfair this must be. And to an extent, even for professional bettors, again, we're all human. That can creep into the consciousness. But what do you do? Is there anything that you consciously try to do when you're watching a game to you know, be aware of the bets that you have? But whether they're winning or losing, whether you're getting good breaks or bad breaks, how you can try to view it, not just from the perspective of rooting in any one wager on any one game, but at the same time, also paying enough attention, trying to be objective enough that however that bet turns out, you're learning something where you can be quick to pivot as needed moving forward. Okay, so there's a few things. And I love this conversation. The number one thing is the first thing I looked at early in the season, I could I had no primetime games bet. So there was three primetime games in week one. It was the Thursday, the Sunday, and the Monday nighter. And the only game I had bet was uh, Tampa Bay against Dallas week one. Week two, there was four primetime games. There was a Thursday nighter, a Sunday nighter, and two Monday nighters. And I didn't bet, but I watch every game because if I don't have a bet on the game, at the very least, I can learn something from the game. What I do is I try to watch a game objectively. I'm like, okay, I have my rooting interest, but I want to learn from this game. Every data point or any new information you pick up helps shape your opinion in a better way. Here's my football Sunday. Uh, I watch with my cousin, who's my betting partner. We have uh, six screens. So we watch all the games on Monday, on 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 Sunday at 1 o'clock. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I know that everything that's happening in all six games. I usually have four games that I gravitate towards, two games that I have a, a, you know, a half a vision on. We do the same at four o'clock and then I watch every primetime game. So this is, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to reveal the name of the Monday grind podcast and why nobody understands it. Cause the podcast never comes out on Monday and people always ask me about it. Here is the Monday grind. So Sunday night I sit down and I go through all the injuries and, and what happened just so I have uh, prepare preparation for next week. And I go through all the data, like, you know, yards per play, 
uh, drive statistics so that I have some data informed. I get maybe three hours of sleep from Sunday to Monday and Monday begins. And it's, I now have to watch every game I didn't watch. And, and there's reasons for it. People say, Oh, you know, the data tells you everything. And, and I disagree. There's sequences in games where a game has a game script for a majority of the game and it's flipped on two plays. And it could be as simple as one missed tackle and one referee calling one bad play. And sometimes you don't pick that up in data. And because of that, like if, if, if a game follows a game script for 98 or 99% of the plays, but there's two straight outliers that affected the game in a major way and gives you a false final, I want to pick up on that information so that I can make my data adjustment when I'm, uh, you know, rating my teams. So Monday's my, my, my process of I'm now watching every game again. This time I already know the outcome. So the money doesn't uh, uh, the money doesn't influence how I think the game's being officiated or how the th- I think the game's going, and I start making honest evaluations of the games. I start with the games I miss, and then and, and then I I browse through the ones that I didn't have my full attention on, like the two side games at one o'clock. That's kind of how I come up with uh, my process when it comes to uh, picking up on every game that happened. I love it. I see a lot of parallels to last Friday's guest in this series, Sharp Clark. He watches every play of every game. And to your point, the data can tell us a lot, especially in aggregate. But there are certain things that, while it's tempting for a lot of people to maybe overestimate what they can glean from the eye test, so to speak, there are certain things that no metrics can pick up on. So it's both an art and a science. And beyond the art and science dynamic applying to betting itself, I also think in the betting content space, that can certainly apply as well. And you, with the Monday Grain podcast and, and getting more active publicly in the betting content space, I, I've got you know kind of a two-parter, pros and cons, if you will. But let's start with focusing on anything you've seen this season. It could be some specific action or topic that you saw addressed or, or something that's like part of a broader trend that you're seeing across the space. Anything when you think betting content you would like to see less of moving forward? Oh, there's so much. I, uh, I have a group chat and this came up today and the topic of Gatorade color came up and a buddy of mine used the word lock and out of like, you know, wanting to find out, I, I searched the word lock and it had brought been brought up 1247 times in our group chat. And here's the thing I want people to realize a lot of people are so confident and here's my lock and every, everybody has such a confidence in, in what they do. And and I, I think more needs to be explained to people that you're betting on probabilities of outcomes versus what the price of the outcome or or the uh, supposed outcome is. And you're betting the discrepancies in that. When someone asks me, Hey, what's a lock? What, who's like, I'll give you a lock, you know, minus 800. Uh, both teams are going to score seven points. That that to me is a lock. There's no value in that. There's no value in that play. But if you're telling me what's not going to lose, that's the play. But if you're asking me what's a good bet, that's a different that's a different thing. And you have to accept that when I tell you this, there are uh, a lot of outcomes where this bet loses. I'm giving you a, an outcome that is more is more likely to happen than the odds are saying. And that's I think I think people need to start thinking in probabilities and not in you know definitives. Yeah, that's one of the biggest lessons I learned earlier on in my betting journey. I was reading a book. I think it's called Betting Baseball per 
betting baseball for profit, if I'm not mistaken. I think it might have been by Eric Strasser, who went by the alias Palm Tree. Um, I think that he, unfortunately, has also passed away in recent years. But he made the point that a, a lot of betting baseball, if you're taking an underdog on the money line, you're often making bets that you expect to lose, but it all comes down to that probability. If you're betting something where it's being priced as happening 20% of the time, but you think it's going to happen 25% of the time, you still accept the fact that three quarters of the time you're going to be wrong. But that one quarter of the time that you're right, if you've got the true probability dialed in, it makes up for the price that you have to pay. So I think that tying this in with the Super Bowl, and we can talk more about it in a moment, but it was eye-opening to me to hear Rufus Peabody speak on, I think it was Rob Pozzola's live stream earlier this week, about the Eagles not to convert a fourth down. Now, everybody everywhere is talking about how good the Eagles are managing fourth downs. And I think that's valid. I love the way that Nick Sirianni manages a game, Same. but there's been a lot of love for over fourth down conversions in the Super Bowl, And because the Eagles are in it, I get it. It's much more likely that we'll, we will see one or perhaps multiple fourth down conversions on Sunday. But I think the price largely reflects it. I mean, when we're talking about minus 170 ish for multiple fourth downs in this game, it feels like that notion is pretty baked in. So to hear Rufus come back the other way and say, Eagles not to convert a fourth down, and the price that he had mentioned was like plus 250, and he said he thought it was good down to plus 220. One of my offshores was hanging plus 280 on it. And I fully expect that bet to lose, but yeah. that was one of my bigger bets for this game because sure. of the pricing. So it's not something that I would bet at anywhere near even money, but it's all relative to that probability. If and when the Eagles convert a fourth down, I'll grade that one a loss and I need to be able to fully accept it in advance. But in the long run, those kinds of bets, there's something where I think the light bulb has to go off at a certain point for a lot of bettors if they're going to have a chance to win long term to understand that sometimes some of the best bets you can make are bets that you should probably expect to lose. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there, there's, an, there's another thing that bothers me. There, there was a, a, a gentleman placed a $35,000 bet to win two thousand dollars on oh, i'm trying to remember the outcome no no uh no kick return or punt return touchdowns i believe that was the outcome that he that he was betting on and i got sent this you know post from br betting or action network i can't remember which one people know i like betting and they always send me this stuff and i'm like oh man how bad do you need two thousand dollars and i'm just and just like I actually think this is a good bet. And I did the math and I reverse engineered it and I calculated every single, you know, kickoff and punt and how many times have been returned. And I'm like, Oh, this guy's at, this is actually a, a, a good bet. This, this thing has a good edge and people couldn't figure it out. I'm like, this isn't the the guy who bets, you know, a million dollars to win four grand uh, live betting on the chargers against the Jaguars. I'm sorry to do that. I'm so <laughs> sorry to do that to you, Matt, but I go, this this is a guy who calculated that this is a, a, a really good bet and, and, and he made it now read the comments on that post. And there, and, and the people that don't understand are so locked in and, and, and staunch on their opinions. And, and it, I came to the realization, I said, no matter how many sharp podcasts are out there and smart people are talking in the sports betting space. And that, that was one of my goals. I'm like, let me just get some more informed opinions out there. It doesn't matter because there's just droves of people 
who who don't think like that and and are wired completely different and and it, it, i came to a sad realization at that moment i'm like i don't know if we're ever going to get a control of this i don't know that the you know the the public's ever going to get informed uh at the rate at the rate i thought it could I think a lot of it comes down to an openness to being informed. And I like what you're saying about it. it's easy to look at certain bets and think, oh, this is a lock. But really trying to think in terms of probability, there, there's a lot of room for growth, probably for all of us to varying degrees. But there's ample room for growth for a lot of people in the space who, who like to gravitate toward that L word if you will. So that's one thing that hopefully we'll see a little bit less of moving forward, even if we can't hold our breath that it'll ever be fully cleaned up. But George, moving over to the positive side of things in the betting content space, any highlights when it comes to, you know, any new gambling Twitter followers, podcast episodes, overall shows, anything that stood out to you over the course of the season that you hope to see more of in the future? You, you know what I, I, I thought that we got a lot more of this year? I thought rather than a lot of you know, betting space and content being on its own island, a lot of great podcasts out there. I saw a lot more collaboration. Uh, I think the Hammer Betting Network was a part of that. You got people who started to, you know, who just recently, Steve Fezzik was on Circles Off podcast. You've had many different people on your podcast. And what I like is the the collaboration amongst people in this space that are sharp or smart and are giving good of informed opinions and i i like it because i think you'll grow each other's audiences the more you collaborate there's no downside to collaboration and it felt like in previous years people were more on their island whereas this year it felt like more people are you know reaching out to people and cross-branding at least that was my observation i don't know how, how about yourself yeah, I think it's been surprising to see some people's willingness to go on certain shows and and have pretty honest conversations. But I do consider that to be a value add pretty much across the board. I, I think mean, it goes kind of hand in hand with the open mindedness of, you know, people in certain spots, maybe needing to think more probabilistically or being willing to have their minds changed if somebody's pretty closed off, then maybe they will reject a certain request or maybe they won't reach out to somebody that they would benefit by reaching out to. And sometimes I wonder if I'm in my own bubble and, and not seeing the forest from the trees, but it, it does feel like I like that answer. Cause I haven't heard that from anybody else while asking these questions. Yeah. And it does feel like there have been, you know, some odd couples, if you will, when it comes to certain conversations. And I think that's great because it's not always about, I have to change your mind or you're trying to change mine. It's just like, Hey, let's have a conversation. We might walk out without fundamentally changing any of our beliefs, but if it just gets us thinking a little bit differently, even sure. if for a little while, that's the kind of approach that cumulatively can have, I think really great compound benefits over time. So it's something that is probably moving in the right direction. And, and I hope to your point that we see a lot of it moving forward because the more of it we see, the more time we see people embracing that approach. I think that could be a massive benefit to the space overall. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, maybe we can find room for something we can disagree on when it comes to the Super Bowl. I know the market's about as efficient as can be. I'm seeing a little bit of flickering on my odd screen right now. It looks like uh, Chris down to reduced VIG on minus one and a half for the Eagles. Uh, Pinnacle is one of the few shops at minus one, although there is some extra vig on Philly there. So maybe we'll see a little bit of movement on the spread total still 
pretty much 50 and a half or 51 everywhere you look. George, any thoughts on the cider total when we think about this Super Bowl matchup or, or any matchup thoughts overall? So this game is a true coin flip for me. I make this game Philly minus a half. That's how tight I have the line. I just want to talk about the weird flip and perception of Philadelphia. I feel like they were disrespected all year. You know, talk. Everybody was you know talking about their lack of a difficult schedule. To me, I, I'm I'm looking at stuff. I go, they've got the third highest net points this year, the fifth highest margin of victory above the spread. So the market was misreading how good they were. Um, all year I was reading on Twitter, hey Dallas versus Philly on a neutral. Dallas would be favored. San Fran versus Philly on a neutral. Sa- San Fran would be favored. Here's the truth that that wasn't the case. Um, San Fran was not the favorite or wouldn't have been the favorite on a neutral against Philly. Kansas City, who's the best team, is not a favorite against Philadelphia in a neutral. Now, that being said, I think part of that is some of the injuries, and, and I do think the game will get tighter to pick them. But there, there was a notion that Philly was uh, not that good. Like entering the playoffs, they were plus 500 to win the Super Bowl for a one seed that that is actually quite low when Kansas City and Buffalo had lower odds and they had more of a gauntlet to go through to get to the Super Bowl. So I, I feel like Philly has been a little bit disrespected, but let's talk about the matchup because a lot of people have correctly pointed out. We don't know what Philly will look like against a top tier offense or top tier passing attack. I think Cleve TA broke down a, a really good breakdown on your podcast about where he thinks there's advantages for Kansas city against Philly's defense. A lot of people I've heard talk about, you know, Philly's got, uh, you know, high sacks and a lot of turnovers because game script, they're leading early and they're able to just like pin their ears back and force some stuff. I completely agree. That stuff is all valid, but I also want to talk about, I think Philly's got a massive advantage against the chiefs defense. That is not being talked about enough. The chiefs had the, there's a perception that the chiefs have like an average run defense, maybe a slightly above average. They had the eighth fewest yards per game allowed rushing and DVOA. They were 15th against the run. But the reality is you want to talk about the Eagles not being tested by a QB. I see the chiefs were barely tested by a top rushing attack out of the 19 games. They played only seven times. They played teams in the top half of offensive rushing. So only 16 in the top 16, they've only played them seven out of 19 games. I have them as playing the fifth easiest schedule of run offenses in the seven games that they played against upper half rush offenses against running backs. They gave up 669 yards specifically and 5.4 yards per carry. They're now playing the number one rush offense, according to DVOA. So I think there's a real opportunity here for the chiefs to get steamrolled on defense. I think that's part of the reason why Miles Sanders overs got steamed from 60, 56 and a half where it opened or where I got it. And it's currently at 61 and a half, 62. I took some stabs at all overs, but here is my favorite prop of the Super Bowl. I took um, Philadelphia over one and a half rushing, rushing touchdowns plus 175. Now I checked this afternoon and it's still available at plus 150. So the line has adjusted. I still like it at that number. If you hadn't heard, Philadelphia broke the record for most rushing touchdowns in a season this year. In 11 games out of 19, they've gone over one and a half rushing touchdowns. But with Hertz as the starting QB, they've actually done it 11 out of 17 games. And you're getting plus money on an outcome that happens two-thirds of the time. The only reason the number is depressed is because the Chiefs have allowed the seventh fewest rushing touchdowns. But 
in my logic, that's not a true reflection of how good they are. And I see tremendous value in Philly and an outcome that happens two thirds of the time and you're getting plus 150 on it. Love it. Couple follow-ups for you on what you just said. First off, you snuck in that you see this game going closer to pick him if we see any movement in the point spread, if I recall yeah. correctly. And if that is a correct interpretation on my end, would you then suggest that if there's somebody listening to this conversation, they haven't bet the side in this game yet, but because it's the Super Bowl, even if they know there's no major edge, just for some action, they they do plan to bet the side between now and kickoff. Fair to say that if somebody in that spot might be leaning toward Philadelphia, go ahead and wait, because in all likelihood, if this line moves, you'll get better odds closer to kickoff. Yeah. And if you're leaning Kansas City's way, maybe place that bet sooner rather than later, because the best of the number on the Chiefs might be on the move if we do see this point spread move. Yeah, I, I think I think the reason the, the line hasn't gone to pick them yet, at least from what I'm picking up, is one of two things are happening. I think there's some real KC backers on the sidelines waiting to see if this is the one game where the public can actually affect the line. This isn't, um, you know, we who cares what the public's betting? We're going to we're going to stand stand fast and line up with the sharps. There's a lot of money on this game and books do not want to get overexposed on the game. That's over bet, frankly, like people bet too much money on the Super Bowl just because it's the Super Bowl. So there's, I think there's people on the sidelines waiting, trying to grab that two, seeing if it will go even to a two and a half. I think, I think they're dreaming. The other part is, I think Kansas City has the more question marks around their health. So I think there are some people waiting on the sidelines just for confirmation. It looks like they're going to end up being healthy. Most of the guys that are on the list. Um, so I believe once that stuff all shakes out, I do think the money will come in on Kansas City at the end. And I think we're going to get close to a pick Um, Maybe Philly, Philly a half. I, I can't see it flipping back over to Kansas City favored. And when you talked about that prop bet, the Eagles to have more than one rushing touchdown, essentially over one and a half rushing yeah. touchdowns for the Eagles at plus 150. One of my first thoughts was, oh, that's great to hear because I have a 14 to one futures bet on the Chiefs that has me overexposed relative to what I would typically stake on a side. And at the same time, I don't want to hedge betting the Eagles just to lock in a profit. So if I hear something like what you broke down, if the Eagles rush for multiple touchdowns, that might be a way to hedge without making a minus EV bet. Now at the same time, hedging can be a sensitive topic from better to better. A lot of people sitting on, you know, not just chiefs, double digit, futures from the season, you know, 10 to one, 12 to one, 14 to one, but people in the ballpark of 25 to one on the Eagles with some pretty heavy decisions to make. And there can be a lot of comfort for a lot of betters and just guaranteeing a profit. But as a professional better, from your perspective, how would you advise people to think through the process of what to do, if anything, if they're considering hedging futures on Kansas city or Philadelphia? Okay. So here's why I hate, I hate the concept of hedging. You you got Kansas City at what number to win the, the Super Bowl? Fourteen to one. Yes. What was the win to win the AFC number? Do you remember? I don't remember. My my best guess is it's somewhere in the range of, you know, somewhere between six and eight, you know, okay. just essentially half. So here's my here's my issue. Let's I'm gonna just use numbers just for the sake of using numbers. Let's say you decided you wanted to bet a thousand dollars on the Chiefs to win at fourteen to one. And let's say somebody wanted to bet the Eagles at 25 to one to win a thousand dollars. Okay. 
So your winning outcome is 14 and your winning outcome is $25,000. If you're betting $1,000 on a future, I'm not sure. Let's just say your bet size, your, you know, your max bet is a thousand, two thousand dollars That's your comfort level, your bankroll sizing. That's what you feel comfortable betting, even if it's three or $4,000. By not taking the Chiefs to win the AFC, because you would have, you would already put $7,000 in your pocket, right? The guy who bet the Eagles would already put $12,500 in his pocket. What you essentially did is you've now bet $7,000 on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. If your bet sizing is one or two thousand dollars, what what the hell are you doing betting seven thousand dollars on 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 a one outcome game? The same token goes to the guy who 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 bet if if his comfort level is two thousand dollars a game, he's betting twelve thousand five hundred dollars on one game. So you're already betting you know four x or six x what your bankroll size is, just because you took a future. So you either saw a number that you wanted to get paid. Or you just didn't understand the concept of betting them to win the AFC or betting them to win the NFC. So when you take up take a parlay, parlays were meant for games that overlap. They, they, they happen at the same time. Not for isolated legs. So you, you ever see those guys, they, they post a ticket, $27 to win $800,000. You ever see you seen those tickets be our betting parades around? He just needs this team on Monday Night Football. Had he left that game off, he would already put $400,000 in his pocket. A guy who's betting $25 on a parlay just bet $400,000 on one game. Why? Why would you ever do that? You have a, you, you're betting $25. You bet $100. That's your comfort level in betting. And you just bet $400,000 because you decided to leave an isolated leg. Leave it off. If you had left it off, Matt, you put $7,000 in your pocket. And let's say your comfort level is $2,000. You could now put $2,000 on the Chiefs. You already banked the five. So if it, if, it, if it goes wrong, you've already made your $5,000. Or you might come to evaluate, hey, I don't like the Chiefs anymore. Now that I've actually considered this game in this isolated spot, I don't like the Chiefs in this spot. You already could have banked your money and not even have to worry about it. But by waiting and leaving an isolated leg, you've decided to make a bet way bigger than your bankroll because you didn't think to bet the AFC. And, and, and it's, this is not an attack. I believe there's there's times for hedging. If the information is different, if something's changed where, uh, you know, the information is different or if it's a bet that you couldn't find, you couldn't find the derivative, the AFC championship bet. Like say you wanted to bet Kansas City to win AFC championship at seven to one. You couldn't find a set, make the second round bet. So you took the AFC. In that case, I understand you get to the final leg. You want to hedge out if it's if it's life changing money or if it's money that, you know, would be a big deal to you. I understand the concept of hedging, but that's the one thing that I think is not discussed enough about parlays. Everybody talks about take the cash out. Don't be stupid. Why did you even put the last game in the first place? Why are you a $25 better going to Monday night football, trying to win 800,000 and you've put $400,000 on one team. I'm sorry. So, no, that was great. So what I'm thinking there is I, I want to let that breathe a little bit as a general point for everybody to consider. And then I'm also processing my own, just, just for this conversation, my own 14 to one ticket. So it is definitely more exposure than I typically have on a team going into any one game. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, fortunately I've, I've read the logic of sports betting. I feel like a lot of what you just referenced um, 
I assume you've read the book. If not, yes. then, and then they touch on a lot of the same notions of, you know, a lot of people just dismiss parlays as sucker bets. Oftentimes they can be a way to get more exposure, but sometimes you might not know just how much exposure you're signing up for when you make what seems like a small innocuous parlay bet. So I, I definitely risked a much smaller amount on this chief's future than I typically would. So it's nowhere near life-changing money. So on the bankroll management side of things, yes, I have more exposure on this game, but no, I didn't make, you know, the same standard unit size and get just way out of my depth here. And part of the handicap, uh, another hat tip to Sharp Clark, who was on the show last Friday, he wrote it up this summer. Basically, I think it was paired with Baltimore, essentially saying, if you like the Ravens, you know, bet them to win the division. I know that didn't work out. Who knew Lamar Jackson's situation would play out the way that it did, but sure. they're, they're generally a good regular season team. And once they get to the playoffs, if you don't have a good passing game, it's just tough to advance too far. So if you like Baltimore, maybe consider the division rather than to win the conference, to win the Super Bowl. And on the flip side with a team like the Chiefs, especially coming into the season without Tyreek Hill. A lot of people thought they would be fine, but there was still some question as to how the offense would respond. The yeah. AFC West looked like much more of a gauntlet than it actually turned out to be. So the thought was, hey, like they might not even make the playoffs, but if they do, we've seen what Mahomes can do. He is just superhuman at times. They're kind of the foil to Baltimore, where if they just get into the playoffs, they're probably as dangerous as anybody. So not just wanting to say, hey, to win the division or to take smaller steps, but just to say, okay, with with the Ravens, you know, kind of aim low. And with the Chiefs, it was much more a case of go ahead and shoot for the moon. I I understand what you said about bankroll management, and I will definitely give that more consideration moving forward. But with that type of handicap, does that go, you know, any further and justifying perhaps this case of betting the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl without looking at, you know, a a couple of tiers down on the betting menu? Well, it's not. So it's not all bad. Like you're we're assuming that you got him at you know 14 but the afc to win was plus seven maybe it was plus 500 and maybe you said to yourself no matter what the chiefs are probably going to be favored against whoever it is in the nfc super bowl and if they were healthy they probably would be favored against philly and there was the notion that the nfc was the weaker conference so i'm not saying your process was bad i'm just because we don't know you we don't know definitively what your what your AFC price was. So there are circumstances where if you think the team to win it is going to be heavily favored, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, the, the Brooklyn Nets were like plus 180 entering the playoffs to win the championship. They were a dominant team. And a lot of people bet Brooklyn at 12 to 1 or 14 to 1 to win the championship. And there was 7 to 1 to win the East. But here was the reality is if Brooklyn ever got to the final, there was zero chance. It would be a pick them. Like they would have been substantial favorites. Cause at that point, when you have a big three, there's certain teams, if they do get to the final, the hype machine's going to be, you know, roaring for them. So there's, there are circumstances where it makes more sense to bet the, the full size as opposed to the derivative to win the conference. So I don't want to come off as that. The second thing I want to say is congratulations, because here's the thing, Matt, Everybody's been betting the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl the last few years. And this is the year, for some reason, where people came off the Chiefs. They're like, I don't believe in the Chiefs this year. And it was it was, it was was simply the Tyree Kill trade. This is the team that's been to two of the last four Super Bowls before this. They had been to every single AFC Championship game. I think they hosted every single AFC Championship game. And at a time where everybody came off of them and got low on them, you took advantage of it. And, and I think... It's one of my favorite buying opportunities in, in in general in sports is 
it's the year after the hype where the the because during the hype if, if the hype is there the price is already reflective you, it's hard to get true value but once people get let down once they're not they don't they're not quick to come back to the table and put their money down on the team again so you got a price on the chiefs that we haven't seen in four years i can't remember the last time the chiefs were plus 1400 to win it when to win the title not since mahomes first year as a starter i believe so you did very it was a very good process and honestly congratulations you should be you should be laughing. You have a great future heading into the Super Bowl. Yeah, we'll see. I, I am tempted to laugh on one hand, but on the other hand, since I'm not hedging on this, I'm prepared to wake up Monday morning and it's just a big fat zero, uh, in which case the laughter might turn into tears. Well, let me ask you something. If the Chiefs go up by 10, are you going to just say, you know what, I'm up by 10, I'm feeling comfortable? Or are you going to say, hey, this might be the first opportunity to buy off a little bit? Are you going to consider hedging live or are you just riding the whole way? No, if, if I do anything live, it would be more like the NFC title game where something changed. I mean, I don't know why one one book was hanging the Eagles minus six at the end of the first quarter when it seemed like the Niners were in shambles at that point already. So if there's something that just seems wrong and live betting doesn't give me the spinning wheel to the extent that I can't get down, you know, if there's if there's value based on what I see in the game and I can get down on it, fine. I probably won't be looking too closely live barring anything extreme that I see during the game, because I know this isn't the professional way to approach it. If you want to make as much money as possible throughout the game, but you know, I want to enjoy a few beers, enjoy watching the game with my wife, like all season long, our living room has been a command center with Sunday ticket. And you know, there's the big screen. We don't have six TVs like your setup, but we've got the big screen, the iPad, the laptop. And, and this will be nice just to try to breathe and exhale and enjoy it a bit. And, and part of that might be, again, because this isn't life-changing money to me. So yeah. I'm in no rush to say, obviously, if the Chiefs get up big, then I'll feel good about it. Sure, but sure. I'm not going to say, okay, this is the time to buy out. Like, no, if, if this ends up as a zero, I, I will be fine. I need to accept in advance, just not skip a beat and, and carry on. And if it wins, great. And I'm not the smartest person ever. So I'm, I'm inclined just to let the chips fall where they may. You got a season long sweat, right? That that's the one fun part. And when people chastise people about, ah, I'm a pro, I never bet futures. You tie up money and you know, it's a high handle market. And it's like, yeah, but people for a small amount get to enjoy a team for the entire year and they get a, a year long sweat on one bet. So I love it. And I'm with you on Super Bowl. Um, I put my phone on do not disturb every Sunday morning. Uh, I don't want to be disturbed. I, I'm in my zone. I call it the bunker. We're just watching football. Super Bowl tends to be my like lowest volume, um, lo- lowest volume game. I just think the line is too sharp. I'm not, um, I don't specialize in, in player props. So for me, you know, it, it's more of a relaxed game. So this is the first time we're, yeah, let's all get together. Let's have a couple beers. Let's enjoy the game. This is fun for me. I, I'm not working anymore. Once football, once Super Bowl Sunday comes on, I'm done my work. It's the first time in the football season I can just enjoy myself. And let's dig into that just a little bit more here, weaving in the hops, if you will. And again, it, it doesn't have to be beer, but it sounds like you've got some beers lined up, perhaps any go to drink food, just anything from a lifestyle standpoint to maximize your viewing experience come Super Sunday. So I'm, I'm not a beer drinker. I, I can and will drink it. I love whiskey and I love red wine. Those are my two go-tos. Uh, my cousin has some of the best top shelf liquor you can find. We'll probably be drinking some nice, um, you know, uh, $80 glass Balvenie uh, whiskey. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun game. 
Um, you know, whatever we have, you know, the usual spreads, snacks, uh, pizza wings. Uh, you know what? I, you know what? Americans celebrate better than Canadians. Can I tell you? July 4th is a party in, in America. And in Canada, ah, we just have some fireworks at the end of the day. Americans understand the value of an event, of a party. And I don't think Canadians do good enough. I know a couple Canadians that get up and they start, you know, smoking brisket early in the morning so everybody can eat, you know, a really good meal. But for the most part, it's kind of like, ah, we'll order a pizza an hour before the game type thing. Sounds like a good way to do it. I know that, uh, you know, might not be 4th of July, but it's going to be a nice, relatively relaxing NFL Sunday for both of us compared to the usual full slate of games. And I'll just throw it out there from the hops perspective on my end. I've mentioned this on other shows here and there, but I don't think I've actually answered this question yet. And in case this audience, you know, tunes into a show called props and hops and wants, you know, any thought as far as the hops go on super Sunday, so far, I've got a, a three-beer lineup, kicking it off with a beer called Timbo Pills. It is a West Coast Pilsner. That's how the style is described by Highland Park Brewery, who mm -hmm. makes that beer out here in Los Angeles. And it's really interesting to me because it's got a light body. It's really crushable like a Pilsner, as most people would think. But they add mosaic and citra hops to it. So you get some of that tropical citrusy flavor without the heavier body or ABV of an IPA. So that's a nice crushable, but very flavorful beer to kick it off. So as this game kicks off, I'll probably be cracking that one first off. And then next up, I got a heavier hitter, a beer called Adios Ghost. This is a hazy triple IPA by Monkish Brewing, also an IPA powerhouse out here in Southern California. All citra hops. It is just dangerously smooth given the double digit percentage of abv we're talking here but it is just again citrusy tropical this one does have a fuller body it's pretty creamy and i think that makes the abv very deceptive it just goes down so easily it's one of my very favorite beers and then to top it off you know they say variety is the spice of life can't just go too heavy on the hops all the time so i'll go toward the sour side of things, maybe meeting you halfway on red wine, which is not in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a beer, it's called Blueberry Muffin. And the first time I smelled this beer, my head just about exploded. There, there's something magical about the aroma on this beer and the taste follows through as well. But uh, the name says it all. Somehow they, I was like, how can a, a beer actually live up to the name Blueberry Muffin? It is like, fresh baked blueberry muffin with like sprinkled sugar on top. Like it, it is just the whole package in one. And it's a bit more of a tart ale, not necessarily sour. Um, the appearance definitely much more similar to red wine than any of the, you know, hoppier drinks that I'll be enjoying earlier. So that's, you know, maybe a bit more of a dessert beer. So if we're talking third quarter, early fourth quarter, as the game starts to wind down, probably sipping on some blueberry muffin and uh, hopefully drinking something a bit sour, but not feeling too terribly sour about that Chiefs 14 to one future as we near the final minutes of the NFL season. Good luck to you, sir. I, I, uh, I'm excited for you. It's going to be a fun day. I'm glad to hear that you like to let loose a little bit as well. I know the season can be a bit of a grind as you talk about, uh, hence the name of your show, the Monday grind, but plenty to look forward to on super Sunday. And George, one final question as we close the books on this season, what are you looking forward to the most over the course of the upcoming off season? The thing I'm looking forward to the most, it's the, the off season actually is the funnest time for me. I love free agency. I build charts and see what everybody's salary cap situation and wants and needs are seeing where everybody goes. The 
more more than any single game. So my second favorite football viewing experience is week one. There's something about the magic of week one. But my number one viewing experience, I love the NFL draft. The first round of the NFL draft is my Super Bowl of entertainment period. That's my favorite day in the entire year. From a betting standpoint, is that a big part of it as well? Or or even without too much action, is it just the whole spectacle? I couldn't believe the last two years how big the betting opportunities are in the NFL draft. I don't understand why books even hang numbers because I can't see how a book can accurately handicap it while monitoring concrete news at all times. Like it is unbelievably hard to handicap. I mean, Look at the NBA draft. The books got turned upside down on Paulo Bancaro uh, going first overall. And I'm an Orlando Magic fan, and I am very happy with Paulo Bancaro. I I believe it. Well, George, at this stage, we are more than an hour in. I think I asked for about half an hour of your time, Top. So I appreciate how generous wanted, you've been with your time. You know what it is, Matt? I, I said, you know, you saved me for last, and I'm a wrestling fan, so I'm not offended. That means I'm the main event. And I said, I want to break the record. I want to. I calculated what was your longest podcast this this season, and I said I'm going to string Matt along until we break that record. And it's not just a pure time suck by any stretch. I think the level of insight here has just been phenomenal. And when you talked about things like how to approach betting futures, I've got to think that as we're leading up to the 2023 season and more of those futures options are on the table, we've got to revisit that and hammer it home from a process standpoint and maybe give some specific examples of what people can consider as we're ready to turn the page to next year. So definitely want to have you back before too long. Exactly. When we bet your chargers next year, it's not to win the Super Bowl. We're betting them to win the AFC championship, right? Or, or maybe to lose. Is there is there a line for the team to lose oh, in no. the most disparaging possible way? I don't think any team has gotten my hopes up more than the Chargers for the last 15 years. I've loved Philip Rivers. I loved everything about your organization. I have always been optimistic. They've been good statistically. You know, the, the sharp analytics people love them. I, I can't think of a team that's let me down more than the Chargers other than my own team, the Dolphins. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, between my Chargers, your Dolphins, who knows? Maybe if we have the same conversation at the same time next year, one of our teams will still be alive. We don't need to hold our breath for it, but one can dream. Absolutely. In the meantime, I want to make sure as we start to round a corner here to remind everybody who's not doing so already to follow George on Twitter at George Silfidis. That's George, T-S-I-L-F-I-D-I-S. And for those of you listening in podcast form, you can find a link to that in the show notes. You can also catch George's podcast, The Monday Grind. George, anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, I, uh, absolutely not, Matt. It's been a really great pleasure to get to know you this season. Uh, I look forward to you know doing more work together, uh, meeting up at Bet Bash 3 and all the good stuff. Absolutely. Can't wait to meet you there in person. And I should note that George was kind enough to have me on the Monday grind not too long ago. So if you enjoy this show and you want to check out that podcast, that might be a good conversation to start with. And there are a bunch of other good ones. If you're missing football this offseason, want to improve your betting process, definitely check out the Monday grind. George, want to thank you once again for coming on the show and then share a few more thank yous that I think are in order before calling the season a wrap. Once again, I want to thank Suma and Hitman for joining me every week, all season long. Um, In addition to George, thank you to all of our Super Bowl Shuffle interview series guests. 
Also want to thank Jacob over at the hammer for producing this show all regular season long. He will forever be a part of the props and hops family. Thank you also again, George, having me on the Monday grind, other shows and platforms that reached out. There were so many great opportunities to connect with new people, help to not just bring in a new audience for props and hops, but to grow new relationships over these past several months. And that's been a takeaway that I will enjoy well into the future have to thank my wife, Mrs. Props and Hops, Allison. She has been so supportive, also giving me the time and space to make this show the best it can possibly be. Uh, we might be seeing slash hearing her on this show before too long. So thank you to her. And I've got to see if I can twist her arm to come back on. Um, Want to also thank the house band of Props and Hops, the Hambones. To those of you listening in podcast form, stay tuned for a full rendition of the Props and Hops theme song that they themselves created and I'd also encourage you to check out the Hambones via some links in the podcast show notes. Those guys can really rock. Last but not least, to the audience, thank you for tuning in from the downloads to the engagement to the quality of the show. I think this has been our biggest and best season yet, and we've got a lot to build on for the future. If you found value in Props and Hops all season long, I don't ask for this often, but I'm going to throw it out here today. The number one way you can support the show, if you're listening in podcast form, please take a quick moment to give Props and Hops a five-star rating. And if you're checking this out on YouTube, please like and subscribe to our channel. One programming note, not going away this offseason. We will be shifting to a once-a-week cadence starting next week. And in the meantime, for the last time this NFL season, thank you for tuning in and best of luck with your Super Bowl 57 betting and beer adventures. Sunday